Last night I shared a very um, short or quick moment about what my family is doing and I promised you that I'd bring a photo. And so the beautiful Emily is going to pop a photo up there for us. This is my family. This photo was taken by our very own Naomi who does photography, shameless advertising here if you need some family photos. And this was taken in March, April last year, right before we flew to Turkey. So Josh, my husband, in the back there, in front of Josh is our son Isaiah. He's 12 now. And next to him is Aisha. Aisha's our daughter. She's 10. Zoe is sitting next to me. Zoe is seven years old. And Joel, he's our teenager. And he's actually just turned 14. So he has changed a lot since that photo. Um, he's a lot taller, bigger. Um, we've got another photo up there of the boys, I believe. This was taken in Sydney. We were back in Australia in March, April this year. And so we enjoyed some Asian food while we were in Sydney. Because in Turkey, uh, Turkey is a very monocultural country, although it has a great history of diversity. And actually, there's a lot more diversity if you scratch the surface. Um, they try very hard just to be Turk. And so that means in our city of five million people, there is one sushi bar. And I believe there is one Korean restaurant about an hour away from us. Everything else is Turkish food. So when we come back to Australia, we love to um, enjoy our Asian food. We love spice and or anything. We love diversity. We love all kinds of different food. And uh, the next photo, and these are just our kids again after a haircut. So it's always a good time to get a photo, especially of the boys um, there. This is taken in Turkey at a hairdressing salon there. Um, and I guess I just wanted to share a little bit about Turkey because, you know, before we left for Turkey, um, I had my own preconceived ideas about what it would be like to live in the Middle East. And I know that that everybody does, probably. And we had many people talk to us and kind of go, oh, one of the first questions we would get asked all the time was, is it safe? Is it somewhere where you really want to take your children? I had a friend from the school that our kids went to at Duffy Primary School. She came across to me one afternoon. Um, her parents had booked a, a holiday to Turkey and if maybe you remember in 2017 right before we or 2016 right before we left there was a coup or an attempted coup there were a series of bombs that went off in Turkey and her parents had cancelled their trip and she came running across to me at school pickup time across the school playground and she was like why are you doing this she was actually quite angry with me uh, you know, why are you taking your children? She has four children of her own. Her parents had cancelled their trip because they believed it was not safe. And I had three minutes to say to her, um, it's because of Jesus. And yes, maybe it is a dangerous place to go, but the Middle East needs Jesus. Um, if there's no peace there, they need to know the peace of Christ. And I just shared with her, I said, you know, we believe Jesus offers the greatest peace that can ever be known and so we want to uh, we want to share that with them and I said 
we do believe that it is worth risking our lives for. And that's a hard decision to make. It's, it's one thing to say, I'm prepared to risk my life for Christ. It's another thing to say, I'm going to make that decision on behalf of my family and my children. Um, it's, it's difficult for my parents, you know, the grandparents of my children. But that is the reality of the gospel. That is the Lord that we serve. If he was willing to lay down his life for us, then we need to be willing to lay down our life for others. And I stand here to tell you that Turkey is actually not that dangerous. <laughs> Once I got there, um, I found that, yes, there are moments and there are places uh, Turkey shares a border with Syria and so you would have heard of all the conflict happening in Syria. There are over three and a half million, it could be close to, I think it's about three and a half million refugees in Turkey at this moment in time. Um, you know, there are risks, but actually where we live, we live a very typical, normal life. And what I found when we first arrived in Turkey was that most families around the world live um, as anybody else does. We live in an apartment on the fifth floor. Uh, there's a photo coming up next of, um, that's me and the girls. Can we skip actually to the photo of us around the table, Emily? Okay, so this is, I'll just explain this. We've started a youth group for foreign kids. So it's very important to us that our children feel at home in Turkey. We've made it a priority to learn the language and to help them make friends so that they feel at home. But until, it's going to take a few years to be fluent in the language. Until that point, um, and even after that, I'm sure, but we meet every week with the other a number of other foreign workers who live in our area and all the kids get together and um, we have a lot of fun we also read the Bible with the kids and um, so this is them I just love watching young kids we have eight an eight-year-old um, our daughter Zoe seven right through to about 14 15 they have they sit around the Bible and they read the Bible together and they play and they eat and they have fun. Um, but it's an incredible privilege to lead young people in the Lord. Um, and so that's one of the foreign workers' homes. And then we have another photo of, um, this is our kitchen, our kitchen in the background, our dining table. So it's pretty normal. It's, you know, like anybody else's kitchen. Um, but this is a photo of what we've been doing. We've been doing what we call faith discussions and so or faith groups, faith dinners. And so as we meet people, we invite them into our home for a meal and we say to them, you know, somewhere along the line in conversation, religion will come up. They'll ask us about our faith. And so we say to them, oh, if you want to come along on Friday night, we'll have a meal together. We'd love for you to come to our home, meet our kids. And we're going to read the Injil together, which is the New Testament. We're going to look at Jesus. And so we just say to them, we, we follow Jesus, we love him. And they, they nod. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Um, and so they're quite happy to read about Jesus and talk about him. And very simply, you know, and I think I said last night, a lot of what we do comes from what we did here 
It is so similar to what many of you are doing in your homes already, in your universities, in your schools, in your workplaces. I know lots of you are reading the Word with people. You're meeting in coffee shops. It's exactly the same in many ways. Um, and so that's, that's just a photo of a few of those people who come along for that. And there may be one more photo, I think. Thanks, Emily. This is Zoe's birthday. Um, and again, I just wanted to show you inside our home. Um, they're her friends from school. So our kids did one year of schooling last year in the public school. Uh, and Zoe did make some, a number of great friends. And so when they came over, their mums came. Their mums are all sitting in our lounge area just behind the photographer there. And um, it was interesting. It was a challenge. It was... You know, it was a lot of fun. Zoe had a great time and I sat with a friend of ours who translated for me and just served tea to these women. And, um, you know, I didn't share the gospel or anything like that in that moment. But I felt that it was a victory just to have them in our home, just to welcome them and to start to build friendship and build bridges. Uh, and so I guess in sharing this with you, I just want to... Um, I think really what is most significant to me is that when God speaks to us and when he calls us and we step out in faith, it's usually, it usually comes alongside a lot of negativity actually and there can be a lot of doubt and a lot of fear and it may be within us. Right before we left, we in three years ago we took all the children to Turkey just for three months to show them um, and I hadn't been to Turkey for about 10 years Josh and I had done a little bit of traveling um, but until that point I hadn't been and I'd never been with children and I woke up in the middle of the night one night here in Canberra at home our tickets were booked we were preparing to go I woke up in the middle of the night one night and felt gripped with fear what if our daughter Aisha has an earache how will I get medicine to her? Like that was the, and I, I didn't sleep that night because I was like, how am I going to get medicine for my daughter in this foreign country? Um, and, you know, it, that was totally irrational. Like there are pharmacies on every corner. We're not living in the third world. Um, it's very, children in Turkey have earaches. You know, children in Turkey need to go to the doctor. Um, and of course we have medical insurance and all those things we, that we need. Um, but it was, when I arrived in Turkey, I kind of was laughing. I was like, this is ridiculous, these fears that we have and these preconceived ideas. And so, you know, I just want to reassure you that if God is speaking to you, I know He is, He has been speaking to you as you're walking and as you're stepping out in faith. Just be assured that you can leave those fears with Him. You can just leave them at the foot of the cross. Um, and you will probably find, in most cases, they're not even, they're, they're nothing. They're made up. They're fears that we conjure up in our mind. And maybe something does go wrong. Maybe it doesn't turn out exactly how you thought, but He's with you. And if He's calling you, if he's leading you into that particular area or that particular place, um, just go. Take the risk.
follow him. Can I grab my notes? Because I would love for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Actually, just before we launch into the Word this morning, we have a team right at the moment in India, um, a group from our church, and it was, um, yeah, there's a a family um, who actually live in Iraq right now, but they are an incredible family that Josh and I met a few years ago, and they started in India these education centres and they worked with local churches and local believers to start education centres in an, in an area that is a conflict zone right um, in Kashmir up in, on the Indian and Pakistani border and uh, their names are Jeremy and Ali and many of you would have heard of, about them as we've talked about them in our church. The organisation they started is called Sparrow. Um, and it's about reaching the least of these. And so we connected with Jeremy and Ali, and over the years as we've supported them, um, there's been, um, many of you would have heard about Phil and Terry and their uh, desire to really reach out into India a bit more. And so Phil right now is on a trip in India. My brother is with him. But there are three incredible women who are a part of our fellowship and who really wanted to be here this weekend, I know, but also wanted to be or needed to be in India. And so they actually wanted to say hello to all of you. Um, And so Jess, my sister-in-law Jess, beautiful Jess, behind her is Belle and in the purple puffer jacket is Linda. Um, And most of you know these lovely women. But we've been getting messages from them. They have had an amazing time. They are trekking through the Himalayas but they are they have raised a considerable amount of money for Sparrow before leaving to go. Um, And as they do this trek, they are actually trekking with a number of the believers who work in the education centres. And so it's about building relationships and encouraging and um, really just praying over India and over the people there. Um, and so there's a whole team of them. There's seven or eight, I believe. And um, the ladies just wanted to say hi and send their love I know many of you are praying for them and we can't wait for them to return. Here they are. Apparently, I was told this was Belle's idea, to take apparently what is the highest road in the world in altitude, the Rotang Pass. Um, And so that's them at the top of that pass. They're about 4,000 metres above sea level there. Yep, so they had to do all kinds of preparation and get ready for altitude sickness and all those kinds of things. Um, But they've just had a phenomenal time. So make sure when they get return that you have a chat to them and just hear a little bit more about Sparrow and the work that Sparrow is doing. And as I said, Ali and Jeremy, the, the incredible thing about what they've done five years in India, these education centres are self-sufficient now. So they are continuing under the leadership of the Indian church and Ali and Jeremy have now moved to Iraq, so they're our neighbours, and they are working um, 
in medical centres and in education wanting to continue that work in Iraq. So pray for them. Um, it's not easy. They have three young children. Uh, they're an incredible couple and we love them very much. Okay, so uh, open the word to Hebrews chapter 3. And I just want to touch on something this morning. It's continuing on from last night because we spoke about weakness and we spoke about those moments in life that really are just so unbearable that we feel like we can't go on, that we can't continue in life. And um, what I wanted to just say this morning following on from that is that I really believe that it's in those moments that our conviction is challenged as to how we respond. I actually think it's in those moments often that people decide they're done. They want to quit. They're over it. And I've had those moments. I've had many moments of feeling like I've... If I'm truly honest, I've even said to Josh, just in the last year, I'm getting on a plane and I'm heading home. Australia, heading back to Australia. Um, And Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to read in a moment, it speaks about um, God actually warns us and he warns the, there's a warning that he gave to the Israelites about them hardening their heart. And so this session today, I just want to talk about the moment of decision that we have to either soften our heart or to harden it. And so we're going to be talking about keeping a sweet spirit. Um, Many years ago when I was first preparing for marriage and Josh and I were first talking about a life and what it would look like and where we would go and what we would do and we were dreaming and um, many of you know our story that Josh has always been very passionate about the Middle East and I knew um, very early on that our life uh, would be a life of ministry and a life dedicated to the church and to Christ and so I was a little bit nervous actually. Um, I knew of many pastors and leaders and people who had, um, I guess, maybe given up opportunities for careers and, um, and, you know, chosen maybe a different path, feeling called and led to it, who had not finished the race, who had pulled out partway through for any number of different reasons. And I heard and I read, um, I was given these very old, like 1980 leadership magazines that had, um, they were specifically for women, they were from the US and there were all these letters to the editor about the pains, pastor's wives writing about the suffering and the pain that they'd gone through um, from their church. And I was 19, 20 and I was thinking, God, how am I going to do this? Like, what is it going to look like? Um, And over and over and over again, I felt over probably a period of about 18 months or two years, he spoke to me about having a sweet spirit. And there were leaders that I was able to look to who, in my mind, had persevered and who had done a really incredible job at keeping a sweet spirit. And so I did as much as I could to talk to them and to ask them, you know, how do you do that? How do you not become bitter? How do you... um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we all know people in our lives maybe who are bitter and who have that kind of edge about them that is just kind of a little bit, you don't want to be like that, like it's just a bit rough. I was like, how do I stay soft? I'm talking about like 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I don't want to be old and gnarly and 
cranky and bitter. I don't want to hate the church. I don't want to... Um, and he just spoke to me over and over again about keeping a sweet spirit. And I really believe that it's in those moments of weakness that we either harden our heart and we do become bitter and we can either become bitter towards God. We can ask questions like, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you allowing so much pain and suffering? God, I don't understand. I thought, you know, life would be easier walking with you. I thought that you would provide all my needs and that you would, um, you know, make the path straight and clear the way. And so we start asking these questions or we get angry at people. Somebody hurts us. Somebody says something that we carry. Somebody treats somebody in our family with disrespect. Maybe you've experienced abuse in your life. And there's a point at which we actually decide, am I going to soften my heart and receive from the Holy Spirit or am I going to hold that and harden it? And so Hebrews chapter 3 Um, And I'm just going to read to you. Sorry, I'll grab my Bible. Oh, here it is. I've got it here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. I really believe that this passage for us is a warning because it's clear in here God is saying that for 40 years... The Israelites saw him. They knew him. They saw what he did. They saw signs from heaven. They had the manna. They had the ravens delivering the meat. They had the smoke by day and the fire by night. They had the Red Sea parting and the water coming out of a rock. And just time and time again, God displayed his generosity to them, his miracles towards them. He, he led them. He never left them and yet they rebelled and they hardened their hearts. And so in a sense his promise to them was that they would never enter his rest. And I don't know about you but I don't want that kind of promise from God. I don't know about you but I want rest. We all crave and long for rest and Jesus promises us rest. And so a soft or a sweet spirit is one that responds to the Holy Spirit. It responds when we don't like the circumstances or when we're not sure we're going to like what he asks us to do. It's in those moments that we can choose to soften or harden our heart. And our decision in that moment will determine if we give the enemy a foothold or if we allow the Holy Spirit a place in our life. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And last night we talked about prayer and, you know, having that posture of praying and waiting. And maybe 
that's a place that you find yourself in at the moment. Maybe you need to pray and to wait on the Lord and know that he will give you courage. He will give you the strength that you need. I love that the Lord waits for us. That even when we do, and I've had moments certainly when I felt my heart harden. And I've just, I don't know if you feel that, that moment of, oh, I've had enough of this. But God waits for us also. And he allows us the time to go back and refresh and to wait on him. And so I actually really just wanted to leave that with you, that thought that what you read, if you go home later today and read through the rest of Hebrews, that passage about that warning to not harden your hearts is actually repeated three times between Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. And to me that really signifies emphasis. It signifies warning. And so way back when I was 19, 20, when I was, like I said, I was preparing for marriage and preparing for whatever the future was going to hold, I determined that I would keep a sweet spirit. And I wonder if you've done that in your life, if you've determined that whatever comes, whatever hardships, whatever other people do, whatever other people say, I'm going to keep a sweet spirit. I'm going to come back. Those moments when I speak bitterness, those moments when I speak hurt and anger and frustration, I'm going to repent. I'm going to leave them behind. I'm going to change the way I talk and the way I think, the way I love. So I wonder if I could just pray for us. Um, We're going to have some morning tea. And then after morning tea, we have a very special session where uh, I'm going to invite Radhika and Kathy and Belle to join me uh, because Radhika and Kathy are two women in our church that I really believe have a beautiful, sweet spirit. They are women who have journeyed uh, over the last actually in the last in a very short time frame but also probably over many years as well hardships they've endured difficulties and uh, Josh and I have watched and we've walked with them through a lot of it and I really believe that they're a shining example of how to keep a sweet spirit and how to remain faithful and so we're going to have a time after morning tea where they share their story and Belle from Talong And I are going to just chat with them and ask them some questions. Because I just think that this is so important for us as women. Proverbs talks about how we need to guard our heart. Because out of our heart flow the issues of life. And we can learn from one another. And so Kathy and Radhika are just going to share a little bit of their own wisdom, their own experience and what God has taught them about keeping a sweet spirit. So why don't you take a moment just to uh, enjoy some tea and coffee and some morning tea and then we'll come back for the interview in roughly 20 minutes or so.